glass, so DJ turn me up. DJ turn me up. Yeah. I like my music, glass, so DJ turn me up. DJ turn me up. Yeah. I like my music, glass, so DJ turn me up. DJ turn me up. Yeah. I like my music, glass, so DJ turn me up. DJ turn me up. Trying to get hit, music allowed this nigga but hits If I hop on it, then do what you get I just go in like the fit of a switch I come to party, trying to get hit Music allowed this nigga but hits If I hop on it, then do what you get I just go in like the fit of a switch What's up ladies and gentlemen, we're back with another special edition of Kicking It with the King. We're not at our normal place of residence when we're doing the show, but I was able to sneak some time in. And ladies and gentlemen, I've been sleeping all morning long. I've been tired, I feel like I didn't get enough sleep, so I actually in fact uh, popped two Advil PMs during the day just to make sure that I could uh, you know, be able to function and be able to... to focus later on because you obviously need your sleep you need the necessary energy to be able to function am I right I mean with my crazy schedule throughout the week in general it's like it's most important to do that but that is not why we're here to talk about that's not we're not here we're not here to talk about that ladies and gentlemen so without further ado welcome back to the special edition I wanted to come back here specifically to uh, talk about the fights because there's just so much questions so many things leading into yesterday night so many things to talk about moving forward and i wanted to do that here i wanted to talk to you guys i wanted to give my forthcoming thoughts my my heavily engaging thoughts on everything all the action all the amazing performances obviously at the top of it alexander volkov defeats alistair overeem by tko in the second round looked good from the start from start to finish i mean um if you would have asked me who i thought and um, would have got that job done between Overeem and Volkov. I'd have to say, like, at the top of it, I'd say I was thinking about this yesterday night because I was talking, I, I was I was going to talk about it later on that night, but uh, I was just too fucking tired, honestly, so I didn't get to it. But, uh, you know, I thought Overeem, you know, over, uh, realistically, Overeem has a lot more... Uh, has a lot more experience in, in kickboxing and K1 and everything, you know, overall just, just in fighting in general. And I feel like, you know, obviously you can't count out the experience of Volkov as well, former world champion over in Bellator. And I, But if you put down pen to paper and you look at the amount of contests that Overeem has had and the amount of contests Volkov has had, clearly Overeem is the one in the corner that has the most experience, right? So, it, it was wild to see that happen over him. Very unfortunate because if you look at his last probably five or six fights, he's, he's looked good. As we said on the show the other day that, um, you know, the Jarzinho Rosenstrike fight, he was winning that nine, 99% of the time. Then, like, the last few seconds, man. The last few seconds were stolen. The last few seconds, obviously, didn't go his way. You know, obviously the referee stopped the fight, and then we saw the ending of that. But you know, overall, relatively, so he has been winning more times than he's been losing. So it's, it's unfortunate for him, and we'll talk about that. What comes up next for Overeem following his loss to Volkov? Another stunner! Oh my goodness, this is like I'm surprised I didn't have a show yesterday night. I'm surprised I didn't come back as soon as I wanted to to talk about this oh my fucking god moment like a Corey Sanhagen knocking out Frankie Edgar the way he did <coughs> excuse me within 23 seconds I do believe but who the fuck was expecting that now these guys have been penciled in to fight for a good amount of time 
It just never came together. Um, I do believe they pulled Frankie the first time from his fight with Sanhagen so he could fight the Korean zombie. Because I do believe Frankie was making his drop down 135 pounds for the first time. And uh, he was set to fight against Corey Sanhagen the first time. That didn't come together. Um, looking at it now, what happened last night, we've never seen Frankie taken out like that. Because if you go rewind the career of Frankie Edgar all the way to the beginning, all the way back to the Grey Maynard fights, all the way back to all those, and you look at how tough and how durable Frankie is. I mean, he was fighting bigger guys, and he was surviving the bigger guys. I mean, now, if you look at it, you know, oh, throughout the years, you know, the first one to really put a stamp on and actually finish Frankie Edgar was Brian Ortega at 145 pounds. Brian Ortega, a big guy, you know, obviously this doesn't take away from the performance of Ortega. I mean, that was, that was a beautiful elbow. You know, he stunned him and he was able to knock Frankie Edgar out. I mean, it was, I, I don't know if you consider the Ortega versus Edgar a knockout loss, but then you move forward and you look at the Korean zombie, I do believe. The only other three people that have finished Frankie Edgar in his last uh, probably six fights or so has been Brian Ortega, Korean Zombie, and now um, Corey Sanhagen. Now, for the longest time, you know, when this fight was originally announced and just how I felt about Frankie, you know, moving into this stage and day and age of his career, you know, it wasn't necessarily one of the best fights for Frankie because you look at how much of a stud Corey Sanhagen is and how young and how, you know, how, uh, how much, uh, you know, hype and, you know, obviously the hype and the skill, he has the skill to definitely back it up. I mean, what he's, what he was able to do to Frankie Edgar, what he did to Marlon Marias in his last fight. I, I mean, aside from that hiccup to Aljamain Sterling, I mean, if you really want to move forward, um, you know, fast forward, make us look at Aljamain Sterling. That just only shows you how good Aljamain Sterling is. Am I right? So what, what Corey Sanhagen was able to do was absolutely, it's, it's unfucking believable man. That was one of the worst knockouts I've ever seen. You know, it's right up there with Ben Askren, Jorge Masvidal. It's not too early to say that. The viciously knockout, that, that, that has staked his claim for knockout of the year, early contender for knockout of the year for sure. It has to be in the top five. I, I definitely see that as being one of the top five knockouts of all time. Unfortunately, it happened to Frankie Edgar. And that, and that was the part that I was just sitting back and thinking, because I was at work, like I said, I wasn't able to watch the fights live, so I went back with the results and went back to the ESPN Plus app to, to watch the fights. And I'm just like thinking, I see highlights, I see videos on top of actually seeing the fights, and I'm just like, holy fuck. I mean, Corey Sanhagen didn't just do it to some, some guy. He did to Frankie Edgar. I mean, if you look at the, the, how fast he took Frankie out, and if you just really take your time to sit back and, and think about the long, illustrious, successful career that Frankie has had, and the battles he's fought, the close fights, you know, the, the amazing performances, the come, comeback finishes, everything that Frankie has done in his entire career, you know, it, it essentially, it's like, it's not forgotten about, it's just holy shit. I mean, from Frankie fighting at 155 pounds to going down to 135 pounds, you would have thought like, wow, for the longest time, Frankie was fighting the bigger guys at 155. And, you know, rightfully, he should have belonged at 145. And, you know, we could argue, say, 145 and 135 his entire career. But, you know, back in his day and age when, you know, obviously the sport has moved along, you know, the, the, the athletes have gotten a lot more smarter, a lot more, obviously, you know, obviously, um, what I mean by, like, you look at 155 now, these dudes are probably walking around at 180, cutting down to make that 155-pound limit. But at, at the time, Frankie was fighting 155. He, he wasn't necessarily, like, fucking small, small. But he could definitely tell that every single, most, more times than not, when he fought and competed, um, he was a lot smaller than most of the people he was fighting, right? But now, now it's kind of like it's kind of like a weird trend. Not a weird trend. I'm not disrespecting, nor am I hating on this. But you know, you see like a guy like Jose Aldo now, at his day and age, uh, where he's at in his career, um, dropped down 135 pounds, and he was at 145. But Jose Aldo was one of those guys that uh, should have been fighting at 155 early on in his career. But like I said, him, 
got Frankie Edgar, who was able to become a champion at 155 pounds. Uh, impressive stuff, impressive shit. Um, and, you know, obviously, like I said, the sport's changing and evolving, and you get these young, hungry lions and, you know, these, these prospering uh, absolute uh, killers. I mean, Sanhagen is a killer. You know, obviously, uh, we've seen what happened with him and Aljamain Sterling. So this brings me to say and talk about Corey Sanhagen's title shot, title shot aspirations. Last night, I was thinking, whoa, 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 everybody needs to slow the fuck down here on the broadcast saying that he should get the title shot next. I mean, he, he should get the title shot next. And obviously, they're, not, they're acknowledging, obviously, that Aljamain has taken on um, Piotr Jan next. So the winner of that fight, most likely, uh, will get uh, Sanhagen. Whether it's Piotr Jan or whether it's Aljamain Sterling. If I had to bet, if you're asking me now, I don't know when that fight is, but I'm betting on Aljamain Sterling. I mean, the way he took out Corey Sanhagen, I mean, the way he, he beat Pedro Munoz, I mean, obviously lost to Marlon Marais in the past, but this is MMA. It's the craziest sport in the world, so, you know, you're only as good as your last fight. And Aljamain's last fight, he looked absolutely amazing. And Aljamain Sterling's a world champion and an uncrowned champion in a lot of people's eyes. I mean, imagine if Aljamain Sterling becomes a champion, then you'd have Kamaru Usman, Israel Adesanya, Aljamain Sterling, top three African fighters that we'll have, you know, three African uh, UFC champions. That would be something special. Do I think, I mean, I, we're, we're not going to go too deep in Aljamain Sterling versus Corey Sanhagen right now. We'll save it for a different podcast. But, you know, it's um, obviously, you know, like I said, it, it's a fight that's meant to happen. Corey Sanhagen deserves to be, <coughs> excuse me, he deserves to be in a championship fight in his next fight. Now, we're waiting to see what happens with Peter Yan versus uh, Corey Sanhagen, right? Or not, excuse me, not Sanhagen, excuse me. Um, Aljamain Sterling. So we'll get to see what happens with him after that. And then, you know, we can move along from there. But other than that, you know, like I said, um, amazing performance by Corey Sanhagen. And it just, it's still, it, it, it's wow. I, I am in shock. I mean, what Volkov was able to do as well, the Overeem. And it seemed like Overeem's the kind of guy that has way more skills than Volkov. All respects to the experiences and the championship accomplishments of, of Volkov, but if you look at the decorated career that Alistair has had, and you look at how um, how great his kickboxing career was, how good his, obviously he's been in MMA, multiple titles in all or other organizations, similarly to Eddie Alvarez, who was actually able to win and realize the UFC championship belt at home and has one at home. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for Overeem last night with a win over Volkov. Um, he said one final run, so I mean, Obviously, we're not sitting here. We're, we just got done talking about the retirement talk, and if I don't see uh, any reason for them to retire at this present moment, then obviously, you know, uh, I'm not going to push for that. And it's hard to do that, and it's hard to say it. It's hard to determine that. Same, similarly to Frankie Edgar. We'll quickly come up and talk about that and, and retirement. I mean, I don't think... I don't think he should retire. I mean, I just think it's one of those things where obviously you know that the UFC is full of the toughest and the baddest motherfuckers on the planet and you can't sugarcoat nor get easy matchups. There's no easy matchups in the UFC, ladies and gentlemen. So we, we, we've got to, um, we, we can't pretend like Frankie isn't getting old. We can't pretend that that father time is, on, uh, is undefeated. But, you know, I, I just think that, you know, it's one of those things that it's not that he can't win in the UFC, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's not that he can't win. It's the matchups. Styles make fights. If not, if that weren't the case, then how much money do you think the UFC would make? Say, for example, if they put Khabib against Poirier five times in a row. You think that's really going to sell? You think anybody's going to think Poirier has a chance the first couple times? Because um, this is going to sound so bad. I love you, Dustin Poirier. But this is, this is realistic, and I'm being completely honest about all this. But say, like, just people that are bad, tailor-made matchups for people. Khabib versus anybody is a bad matchup. But similarly to how we took Khabib out of the lightweight conversation that we were having yesterday about the whole stacked UFC lightweight division, 
Now look at all the fresh matchups that we have at 155 pounds because we eliminate one guy who has a style that's seemingly unbeatable, all right? That's, I don't mean that in a bad way. And I'm saying, obviously, for, if, like, for Khabib not being a part of 155, then, you know, obviously it opens the door for more fresher matchups. Similarly to Frankie, I mean, Frankie did win his last fight, I'm pretty sure. Um, but for Frankie, I don't want to see Frankie enter into that conversation where, I mean, he still, he was number four in the world at featherweight, and he lost to a guy who was number two that should be fighting for the title. I mean, he's fighting absolute studs. And, and who am I to sit here and say that uh, he shouldn't be fighting uh, good guys? Um, he shouldn't be fighting up-and-comers. I mean, he should be fighting the top-tier guys that are provided in the UFC. And if he can't beat them, then, you know, unfortunately, that it's time to take a step back. It's not, a time, it's not time to say he should retire. I'm saying that, I mean, obviously, like I said, there's no easy matchups in the UFC, nor do you want to baby take Frankie Edgar or give him any, any gimme fights or anything, you know, or big money fights. But really, I, I can't really think of any, you know, any fights that really are tailor-made for him. And I, I can't think of any fights at the moment that could be a good fight for Frankie Edgar. I, I was, oh, he, he, he fought Pedro Munoz in his last fight. It was a close fight, too. So, I mean, uh, Frankie, just, you know, obviously certain styles. And, you know, I've, unfortunately, like I said, when, when things like this happen, it tends to make people not ha have a clear mind. So, say if Frankie Edgar would have won last night, we would have had a better chance, a better opportunity to think about who you could fight next. But now it's like, you know, I'm in between that argument of, he should fight people who aren't as good as Corey Sanhagen just to get his mojo back. Or he should really start thinking about what the future should be like. Am I right? I mean, I, I don't want to say that he shouldn't. I, I genuinely wholeheartedly believe he belongs and should be fighting in the UFC. There's people who have had way worse luck than Frankie Edgar as of late that are still in the UFC that were able to bounce back. I mean, look at the losing streak of Carlos Condit. He was able to bounce back. I mean, look at the, look at Overeem, for example. People were touting him to retire. People were telling him to retire back when he was losing those three, those three fights in a row. I mean, the, after USADA, after he went and fought Antonio Silva and he lost that one. And, and, you know, obviously went on from there in the Travis Brown fight as well. Um, people were saying, oh, this guy was overhyped. You know, he's nothing without the steroids and uh, he should retire. And it's all this other negative bullshit. So the MMA world will push you. The fans, the media, everyone will talk and speculate and say that you're not good enough or say that you're not able to do or accomplish any of this stuff. But uh, we, we, we look at the career of Frank Yeager and we look at the accomplishments that he's made, a Hall of Fame worthy career. I mean, he's always willing to take fights on short notice. He'll fight anybody on the planet. Um, I, I just think that that's a, you know, these young studs, if you were to ask me the simple problem right here, and, and there's a contradicting argument for this, ladies and gentlemen. Here, here's the first one. He should be fighting people that aren't on hot streaks like that. Same thing with the Anderson Silva thing. I said this about Anderson Silva. You know, if they're a legend and they hold legendary status inside the octagon, at their day and age, you know, I, I don't think this should be the case for everybody. But you got to give them some fight, good, fun fights. I mean, I know Frankie is talking about, uh, he was talking about making another run, you know, at 135. And uh, obviously, I'm coming up short now and, and, and in a bad way. I mean, that's, a, that's not just a loss, man. Now, now that I'm sitting back here thinking about it, dude, that's a bad knockout loss. I mean, was Ben Askren the same after? Who, who did Ben Askren fight after? He fought Masvidal. Was, did Ben Askren, so Ben Askren first came into the UFC, and that's when he had that controversial finish over Robbie Lawler. And I think after that, he fought Masvidal. And then after that, he fought Damian Maya. And then, you know, that spelled the ending of Ben Askren's UFC career. But, um, you know, I don't really want to compare Ben Askren's career to Frankie Edgar's, because Frankie Edgar is a winning, winning champion in the UFC lightweight history and has some, some big wins over the likes of BJ Penn, Sean Shirk, Gray Maynard, you know, close fun fights with Benson Henderson, knocked out Chad Mendez, beat Uriah Faber. You guys forgetting about that? 
In the words of uh, Ariel Hawani quoting the great Roy Jones Jr., y'all must have fucking forgot. And Frankie Edgar's a beast. He's been fighting the best guys, um, the best guys that have been offered to him since, since the beginning, and he's never taken any shortcuts or anything. So it's unfortunate for him. Um, maybe in the future, maybe in the next episode or so, uh, if, if it comes to mind, if a good opponent comes to mind for him, I always wanted, you know, it's so awkward, uh, but now I kind of feel a little bit different about think uh, about this, about this uh, specific uh, thought. But I always wanted to see Frankie and Jose run it back at it, at 135. It was when they first entered. Jose Aldo was, uh, you know, people said that he beat Marlon Moraes. It was back then, and Frankie came back, that came down, and you know, obviously, I, I thought it would be a fun fight for both of them. But, you know, at this day and age, it's like, I don't want, I mean, maybe having rematch people, damn, you fine, baby. You know she's rich. Pleasanton, Mercedes-Benz, E300, are you kidding me? But yeah, so, you know, it, it, it depends on what's next. I mean, some time off, yeah. I'd say uh, maybe return in October or so. Maybe like, maybe after the summer. I mean, he did lose very fast, but he, he got knocked out. And similarly to uh, similarly to uh, the Ben Askren one, obviously, like I said, he was out uh, he was out cold, and that was stiff. And Frankie Edgar, I mean, I, he's been stopped. He's been TKO'd. He was stopped. He was a TKO'd by uh, the Korean Zombie. He was TKO'd by Brian Ortega. But I'd say out of those two uh, stoppage losses, dude, this the flying knee knockout had to be the worst one. It for sure had to be one of the worst ones. So I'm generally concerned and generally feel sorry and sad for Frankie. And I, I hate when this happens because I hate having to have conversations and try to think of loop, not loopholes around um, what should be next or what we should he should do next and try to offer scenarios and you know obviously after a certain amount of time once people aren't winning and aren't able to win at the highest level anymore you got to think about what's next because you don't want to be seen i don't want i do not want to see any people that aren't any any i don't want to see any top contenders beat frankie edgar down um that's not fighting for a title or on a streak or you know shouldn't be beating frankie edgar the same thing that happened with rashad i talked about the same thing that happened with rashad evans when he's losing to guys like Sam Alvey or uh, what's, what's the fucking Australian dude's name? The dude that looks like Brett Favre. Rashad Evans losing to Sam Alvey. I mean, having close fights with people he shouldn't be. I mean, where the fuck Sam Alvey now? Where the fuck is, uh, what the hell was that dude's name? But, I mean, Rashad losing to these dudes, I mean, that clearly shows you that he shouldn't be obviously it's, it's either a mental thing or just doesn't have it in him to compete with the best of the best similarly to Frankie I mean he was winning he's top contender he's not on back-to-back -back losing streak or anything but you know there, there comes a time to really think about those things in your career you got to be realistic with yourself especially after a bad knockout like that but let's not uh, let's let's move along because we don't really have that much time left here on this show, ladies and gentlemen. So we can get into what's next and what we would like to see moving forward. Obviously, like I said before, the, um, this episode on the last one, the heavyweight division is already kind of crammed right now. I mean, as in for Volkov, a title shot is in his aspirations. A title shot is something that he would like to see in the near future. But realistically, the heavyweight division is super logjammed as it, it, it has been right now, even when Cormier was a champion. And Cormier was penciling the fight Stipe for that third time. You know what I mean? Because now we know that John Jones will be the one that's next for the winner of Francis versus Stipe. Two, whenever that happens, I don't remember the official specific date, but whenever that happens, ladies and gentlemen, that, that will show obviously, who the next challenger is. And if Francis wins, what, does Stipe get her immediate rematch? Or what's the UFC gonna do? Are they gonna give John 
the fight? Are they going to give Stipe the rematch? If something crazy happens, it comes like a fucking no contest, both men slip on a banana peel, what's the UFC going to do? We don't know. That's the thing. So when you're thinking, it's, it's hard to sit there. Because I'm, I'm for me personally, I can feel and understand the frustrations of having to sit there and wait for a title shot. I mean, Volkov, the best thing for Volkov to do right now would be to continue to keep fighting, keep beating these guys, keep putting your stamp down, keep beating amazing, pe amazing people like he put this amazing performance on against Alistair. He looked fantastic, dude. He looked fantastic. Keep that momentum going because we would hate to see it slow. Because you got guys, got, we got Curtis Blades who's arguing for a title shot if he beats Derek Lewis. We've got, we got John Jones who doesn't even have a fight right now, is bulking up to heavyweight. That's gonna be potentially fighting the winner of Francis versus Stipe. So you might want to slow the roll on the title shot talks, Alexander and Drago Volkov, because it's gonna, you're going to be wasting your time. So the best, like I said, best case scenario for him to do is continue winning and keep putting on amazing performances. Maybe, I mean, he was beating Derek Lewis. He was on the bad side of a bad knockout loss and obviously part of big history um, in Derek Lewis's career. It really kind of launched his whole My Balls Was Hot campaign or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And it's just like, yeah, it, it's wild to see. I mean, Volkov was on the, the, the losing end of Derek Lewis's uh, fame, his famed knockout. But I say they fight 10 times out of 10. Volkov beats him, dude. Volkov beats him nine times out of 10. That one time being the time Derek Lewis beat him. So, I mean, there's a lot going on at heavyweight right now. So I really don't know what, I mean, like I said, I offered my best case scenario for Volkov. I think Volkov can go forward and, uh, you know, keep fighting, keep fighting these good guys. Fight top contenders. Fight somebody in the top 10. But, you know, obviously, I don't know how it is. when I don't know how these fighters feel when they're at the top of the game and they just beat somebody who's ranked ahead of them. You don't, you, you, you don't want to um, rank people. You don't want to rank people that are... Uh, you don't want to fight people that are ranked below you. And I could see that. But if there's nobody else that's being offered right now and uh, you, you just want to get a fight... A fight in, a fight booked, then, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it, for me, I'm not the type of guy that wants to go back, backwards. And, I mean, I don't know how these fighters are thinking. I don't know what, what their mindset is or what their game plan is and shit like that. But, you know, obviously it's up to Volkov to see what he can do. He can t pay. I mean, he has history with both the guys that are fighting, Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis. But, I mean, maybe a rematch with one of them. And in the meantime, after that, whoever wins after that, like I said, if Francis wins, oh boy. Uh, why do I feel like the UFC would do Francis versus Jones? That's something that they would want, but that's a huge, uh, that's a huge, huge, huge uh, risk, risky fight for John. But like I said earlier about the Frankie Edgar thing, there, there, there's no easy fights in this game. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see something. Hopefully, like I said, the heavyweight division doesn't stay as crowded as it's been. Are not crowded, but like log jammed because like when it comes to title shots, man. If you're anybody else that's not John Jones, it's not Francis, it's not Stipe Miocic, you shouldn't be thinking about a title fight just yet because you you're gonna be wasting your time. And you know there's a log jam right now. So moving along to the 135 pound title talks for Corey Sanhagen, we kind of brief briefly touched base on it earlier. Um, we talked about you know obviously the fact that Aljamain Sterling was the last person to beat Sanhagen. Sanhagen has t had two uh, main event, or not main event, but two back-to-back -back, uh, wins in impressive fashion by knockout in, um, over two former champions. Two former champions, one being outside of the UFC in the form of Marlon Marias and obviously Frankie Edgar, which I don't know right now if this is, if this is uh, legitimate to say, uh, no, nor am I, am I uh, poised to say this, but that's the best anybody's done against Frankie Edgar. I mean, the Brian Ortega performance against Frankie Edgar was heavily imp impressive as well. And um, obviously the Korean Zombies performance over Frankie Edgar's was amazing as well, ladies and gentlemen. But for right now, that is all the time we have. And we will be back for part two, ladies and gentlemen. This shit is just getting way too good, baby. We'll be back. Stay tuned, baby. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. I genuinely appreciate you guys for uh, waiting for me. I know it can be a pain sometimes, ladies and gentlemen. But back to what I was saying about... Corey's amazing win over Frankie. It's just the way that he beat him. And out of all the times you've seen Frankie come up short and or lose, and you know, the couple times you've seen him get taken out by TKO, 
we had never seen something this quick nor this vicious. I mean, like I said, going back to what we were saying earlier, dude, that, that's hard to, to stomach. To sit back and think the fucking amazing career that Frankie's had and, you know, just thinking about every single thing that he's done throughout his entire UFC career, to see him get taken out in that fashion. God forbid there's any casuals watching the program and they see this amazing guy in the form of Corey Sanhagen take out a legend. I mean, if, if, you didn't, if you thought that was just some guy that Corey took out, no, dude, that's Frankie motherfucking Edgar, bro. I was going to say boy. I was going to say bro or broy, boy. That's Frankie motherfucking Edgar, boy. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's insane, man. Like I said, I mean, fuck, if Aljamain Sterling wasn't fighting for the title, I would say give Corey that title shot right then and there, baby. Maybe if something happens with Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan, they're, they'll re- uh, obviously, probably, I don't think that they're going to go the opposite way of Al Jermaine Sterling. I do think that's the, the matchup that they want to see right now. And obviously, if, the, if, uh, if all goes well for Al Jermaine, then he should uh, be next for um, fighting for the title. Obviously, I mean, like I said, he should uh, perfectly be set and penciled in to fight against um, Pete, uh, Corey Sanhagen. But we can't dismiss Peter Yan. I mean, Peter Yan is a very decorated, you know, very dangerous on the feet. Lots of power in his hands. Lots of power in his feet as well. I mean, we see that knockout over Uriah Faber. But we, we really haven't seen too much of Peter when it comes to defending his belt. Because, I mean, like I said, he just barely won that belt. And, uh, you know... Um, he barely just won that belt, so it's one of those things like, you know, we want to see how he is when he comes to defending the belt. We want to see how he is when it comes to being put under pressure. Um, he's going to be establishing a legacy. And, you know, if he loses Algerman Sterling in his first title defense, it really kind of solidifies my point. I think there's, I mean, we never know. You, you just never know in this sport. You might see Peter Yan versus Corey Sanhagen. Peter Yan may take out Aljamain Sterling. You, you, you never know. In this sport, nothing is promised and nothing is guaranteed. Same, similarly to what I was saying about the title shots and, you know, being up next. Similarly to what I was saying about the 155-pound division and Charles Oliveira, right? Becoming, you know, obviously being next or, you know, being penciled in and rightfully should be fighting for the title next doesn't mean it's going to happen you know the UFC can go in a completely different way as we were saying yesterday and go for what the, the what's going to make the most money not rightfully not who rightfully deserves it nothing's guaranteed in the sport and that's what people have got to realize and that's what people have got to do and think about because it's not guaranteed ladies and gentlemen like I said, for Volkov, for Sanhagen, just fight on. You don't know what's going to happen. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And just <laughs> hope for the best. I mean, what, what would I like to see if you want to sit here and flip the question and ask me? Like I said, I mean, logically, I think logically about the 135-pound division as well. I'd like to see Algermain Sterling realistically become the world champion. Get three African um, champions. I mean, yeah. Israel Adesanya, we would have Kamaru Usman, Aljamain Sterling. Hence, say Francis Ngannou beats Stipe Miocic. Four. Dude, <laughs> like more than half the champions, or a good percentage of them, will be African-born UFC champions. Say even if they live in Australia, even if Israel is in Australia, even Francis is from different parts. It's, it's mainly thing, African-American champions. That's the only thing that matters. That, that's what I would like to see. I'd like to see Peter Yan, uh, you know, uh, what is it called? Uh, you know, I'd like to see Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling go head-to-head. -head. I mean, I'm not dismissing Peter Yan. I'm just very high on Aljamain Sterling, and I'm ha very high on his development over the years. You know what I mean? I'm very... I'm, I'm very high on him because I think he has the skills 
I think he has what it takes to to be a champion. I mean, he's still improving. He's still um, obviously adding new wrinkles to his game, and we've seen the evolution over the last few fights. But, you know, we still obviously could see more evolution. Just not, not that I'm saying that he's not talented or, or any of these guys aren't talented. I'm just saying that this sport evolves so quickly and uh, these people grow so much. So we're going to be seeing things you know, out of people that we may have not seen before. So as in when it comes to the future fights and future matchups, I'm excited to see how Corey fits in against Algermain and how he fares in a rematch. Because for me, that's exciting because you look at all the evolutions and you see people do even better in rematches. You see, you know, similarly the same result, faster, quicker, maybe longer. You never know. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to really see, um, you know, what happens for Overeem. I don't think Overeem is done. I think there's more than enough people in that heavyweight division that he can come and build his name up and bounce back. I mean, Volkov, I don't really see him in a title picture right now because of that huge massive logjam, and that's just way too motherfucking much people to um, try to, uh, you know, try to try to think too far deeply into what I, and into the title picture. I mean, do I think he's eligible nor able to fight and? For, for that belt, and, and like, do I think he's competitive? Of course. Of course I think he's competitive. I think that he offers lots of dangers, but you got guys that are in the mix still considered to be top contenders, and you know, if Curtis Blades wiped the floor with Derek Lewis, as I predict, then we got Curtis Blades, who has an argument over him because he's beaten Volkov already. Maybe Curtis Blades wants a title shot next. But only the UFC matchmakers and all these people know what's going to happen next because they're the ones that make these rules. They're the ones that guide them. You know what I mean? And they're the ones that dictate it. They're the ones that uh, predict these performances. I mean, obviously not predict these performances. Excuse me, that's a terrible way of putting it. I meant they're the ones that, you know, put these matchups together. You know what I mean? They put these matchups together. They come to fruition. And, you know, some matchups may not be the ones that we thought, nor are we favored, nor matchups we, we want. But at the end of the day, the outcome happens each and every time. Every time we watch this fight, that's any fight that happens, we get the result. You know what I mean? So moving along to what I'm saying, you know, Volkov is very competitive and I believe will be very competitive in his next fight. Whoever it is, maybe it's a rematch with Derek Lewis. Maybe it's a rematch with Curtis Blades. Because it's not like he lost too badly to Blades. I mean, Blades takes people down at will. And he beats the fuck out of you sometimes. And has some of the highest level and best wrestling in, in the UFC's heavyweight division, as I was saying yesterday. And, you know, obviously, <laughs> if you don't want to sit there and wait or feel like you, you, you're wasting your time waiting, then I'd say, you know, a rematch. I mean, why not? What else is there to do other than wait and train? You know what I mean? Excuse me. But yeah. Interesting. You know, I, I don't know, like I said. I'm really just, I mean, for me personally in life, I'm not the kind of guy that likes to sit there and wait. So I'm pretty sure there's a lot of fans that think the same way. And you know, like I said, there's a huge log jam. If you keep repeating, keep saying at the heavyweight division, but, you know, these guys will realize their dreams and fight for the title when the time is right. You know? First, we got Francis versus Stipe. The big heavyweight rematch that everybody wants to see. A high-stakes heavyweight rematch. I mean, we don't even know how the rematch is going to go. Imagine Fran- Dude, 
you know, realistically thinking about it, you know, if you're really going to sit here and think about it right now, could you imagine Francis doing what he did to everyone else in his, like, last three fights, all those former champions, all those great fighters, and he just does that to Stipe in the first round? Dude, how are you going to deny it a second or a third fight, dude? Especially if you look at the way Stipe beat him in the first fight. Say Francis comes back in this rematch and, and does just everything he's everybody thinks he's going to do with his hard, you know, um, bulldozing, like, speed and power and, and velocity that he brings every time he fights and competes inside that UFC cage. Dude, d- d- hell no, they're not going to go with someone different fighting for the time. I mean, John Jones... Maybe, maybe, maybe John Jones has to wait because Francis does something amazing to Stipe Miocic in their second fight. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't know how it's going to go, though. That's the thing. So, like I said, you got to think about it logically. You got to think about that it's, it's um, you know, like I said, it's not guaranteed. Nothing is promised in life. Nothing is promised in the world of mixed martial arts, ladies and gentlemen. So, um interesting really interesting obviously to see uh what what the future holds what would i like to see what would if i if we were to predict the heavyweight landscape this time next year who would be the champion i mean who who should be i mean stipe i mean stipe it's just it's, i've got to see i can't this is the hardest thing we can't do we can't foresee the future especially not at a division like lightweight dude you know what i mean not lightweight, excuse me, at a heavyweight. Because like I said, I didn't even think about the outcome of potentially of Francis just coming in and steamrolling him. But if you look at the first fight compared to now and how green Francis was in the first fight. And, you know, the first, you know it was one of those cases where I thought maybe he should have waited a few more fights before realizing a UFC championship dream. But the way he beat the fuck out of Alistair Overeem and sent him into another dimension, that had everybody on the heels. That had everybody up in their feet, up in this, up in their seats. That had everybody just, oh my God, what the fuck just happened? Similarly to what Masvidal did at Askren, that elevated him up. Similarly to what Corey Sanhagen just did to Frank Yeager, that should elevate him up as well. I mean, all these dudes that are producing these highlight reel knockouts should be fighting for the title. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just history breaking. It's history breaking. And like I said, you know, these guys deserve to fight. These these dudes from from that point on when you produce a highlight reel like you do, like Masvidal did, like Corey Sanhagen did. And, and, you know, like Connor did with that 13-second knockout over Josie Aldo. That will forever be a cemented part in UFC history. That will forever be a cemented part in MMA history. I mean, I, I vouch for people getting title shots off of shit like that. So that, that was amazing. And, you know, obviously, like I said, um, when it comes to... I, I heard this discussion the other day, ladies and gentlemen, about uh, who had the better debut between Corey... I'm not... Not debut. Uh, wait, wait. Debut. This is completely off topic, but I was just, I just speak. I was thinking of the Alistair over and I just thought this popped right in my head. So uh, they're saying between Michael Chandler's UFC debut versus Brock Lesnar's. I think I, I have to agree with um, Alistair on that point because if you look at it, Alistair had already had an established career, established history of. Being the demolition man is formerly known as his his um, his former nickname, and that was what everybody called him. He was destroying people in other organizations. He's just putting it on people and kickboxing and sleeping Todd Duffy and beating the fuck out of um, Fabricio Verdum back in Strike Force. I mean, destroying Brett Rogers. I mean, just annihilating people with his lethal knees, his lethal elbows. Just everything over him did was absolutely destructive over and other organizations way long before he was able, ever making it to the UFC. And then he gets, obviously, the famed superstar, the WWE superstar, the, the massive behemoth of a man in the form of Brock Lesnar, who, once again, already had an established history of dominance in the MMA world shortly. And 
you know, it just it <laughs> makes sense making his arrival to the UFC. I mean, he had already been a former, he already beat Randy Couture for the belt. He defended it a couple times. He beat Frank Mir in a rematch. He beat Shane Carwin after almost getting annihilated in the first round. Y'all remember that? And, you know, now, um, now you just look at, you know, as a, if you think about the debuts and everything that happened at the time, yeah, both men already had a Hall of Fame, you know, worthy careers. I mean, Overeem at that point had already been a champion in other organizations, and you know, he finally made his huge arrival in the UFC. It was the biggest signing the UFC had done in hell along. And Michael Chandler, you know, taking on Dan Hooker. I mean, Dan Hooker's had a respectable career. He's been fighting for a long time. He's had had some. He's had some amazing performances. He's knocked out Gilbert Durino Burns in impressive fashion. He's I mean, slept Jim Miller. There's nothing Dan Hooker hasn't done in his career that hasn't been fascinating. And it's already been amazing. That's the thing. It's already been amazing. Um, and, you know, he's done some great things in his career. But trajectory, what, what they've done in their careers, what Alistair and Brock Lesnar had already done before they collided together, has to be the debut of Michael Chandler versus Dan Hooker. The debut of Overeem versus the debut of Michael Chandler. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, nine times out of 10, I pick Overeem's debut over Michael Chandler's. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, give me one second. I do believe that we have Usman versus Burns coming up. And, and we've talked about it briefly. On the last episode, we watched, uh, we watched the Countdown show briefly. And, you know, obviously I wasn't really able to give my full undoubted thoughts about it. But now that we have a little bit more time... Uh, we can do that and give my undivided thoughts. I can give my undivided opinions. Talk about it. I mean, nobody knows Usman like Gilbert Burns. That's very true. They've trained with each other for a long time. They know each other. It's similarly to if you want to think about it. If you want to compare that, you know, like the whole brotherhood and all that, right? You got... Um, Cain Velasquez and Daniel Cormier, who are best buds. They trained day in and day out with each other. They did. You know, on their way up, on their way to realizing greatness in both separate organizations that they were in. You know, you have their person. You got Israel Adesanya and you got Dan Hooker. You got all these guys who are um, phenomenal and have phenomenal training partners and have their phenomenal person that makes them better. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it, it's, it's crazy and it's insane um, to see. It's, been, it's, it's insane to see and think about. 
realistically. But, um, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. I'm pretty fucking high, ladies and gentlemen. It's good to be back here on the show. Um, like I said, we're not usually at our place of residence. But uh, we are here. And um, I think that's it, if, if not mistaken. Um, you know, like I said, Usman. Like, oh, no, 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 no. So to, t- to tally this up, to finish this up, ladies and gentlemen, I think both men know each other very well. I think Gilbert Burns completes and uh, um, has a very compelling argument that he can be the one to give Usman the most trouble. I mean, we've seen Usman's last three opponents, very viable opponents. Out of all of them, I would say that, you know, Gilbert Burns, you know, he, he's a dangerous man. That is a dangerous fight for Usman. Very exciting. Um, we will talk about this fight before it happens, one more time before it happens. So that you're going to get my undivided attention on that one, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate you guys for joining us here on this special edition. Follow us on um, Twitter and Instagram, KWTKPod, G the King, MMA on Twitter, and so forth. DJ, turn it up. It's all, it's all yours. Let's go. Let's fucking go, baby. We're out of this bitch. We'll be back. Bye, folks. DJ turn me up, DJ turn me up. Yeah. I like my music loud, so DJ turn me up, DJ turn me up. Yeah. I like my music loud, so DJ turn me up, DJ turn me up. Yeah. I like my music loud, so DJ turn me up, DJ turn me up. Gonna get hit, music allowed is nothing but hits. If I hop on it, then know what you get. I just go in like the fit of a switch. I come to party, gonna get hit, music allowed is nothing but hits. If I hop on it, then know what you get. I just go in like the fit of a switch.